Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. In case you haven't noticed in the news, Israel is under siege completely. And there are a lot of rocket attacks going on. They are fending for their lives in a lot of areas of the nation right now. And what we're seeing kind of the tensions just boiling up slowly. And so if you remember from remember how many weeks ago now it was, maybe two or three weeks ago, we talked through the second part of the Red Horse, which was all of these biblical Old Testament prophetic wars that are yet to unfold, and kind of just theorizing on maybe how those would look, how those would unfold in the future, and we're starting to see the boiling happen in our, in our day and age. So if you haven't, uh, two things. One, please pray for Israel. Uh, Pray over our brothers and our sisters over there. They are the Lord's anointed people. He has a plan for them. He has a destiny for them in the future. And we need to do our part as the church here, as the bride of Christ, to pray for them as much as we can. Uh, And then secondly, look in the headlines. Uh, If you don't go to the Jerusalem Post, if you don't look at the newspapers over there daily, do that. Make that a routine. And just see what is really going on. Because Everything we talked about several weeks ago, the stage continues to get set, and as a student of the Bible, it's exciting, and I think it should be exciting for you as you read your Old Testament, as you read the Bible, to see, wow, everything that God wrote about 4,000 years ago, the stage is being set and unfolding before our very eyes. It's just incredible. So please do that, and we are going to dive into the green horse today. So we went through... This is the last horse of Revelation chapter 6. So we've gone through the white, the the red, the black, and then now the green horse. And we spent two weeks on the red horse, kind of going through the Old Testament prophecies of wars that are set up to happen after the rapture of the church at some point. So what we're diving into today is the green horse. It's the last horse. And I'm sure all of you have heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's, it's ingrained in our culture. Movies use it in a lot of sense of evil. If you, had a, if you were an X-Men fan as a kid, they had the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which is the name of the book. Revelation literally is apocalypsis in the Greek. And so this has been in culture and really ingrained in our society for a long time. So we're finishing up the last horse of Revelation 6, and then we're going to keep going after that. But As a reminder, because we have new people watching online every week, we've got new families coming in here every week, just a quick reminder, why are we studying Revelation? Well, number one, it's the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing. And so we're going to claim that blessing here at New City Church. We're claiming that the Lord would bless those that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. So that's a blessing for us today as, as God's bride, as the bride of Christ It's also the only Bible that gives you an outline in chapter 19, or verse 19 in chapter 1. Write the things which thou hast seen, 
which was the unveiling of who Jesus is, right? The things which are, which are the seven churches in chapters two and three in the book. Those are the seven letters of the seven churches and the things that take place after the churches. And so it has a divine outline that we've been following. It's also the only book that details explicitly our future with the Lord, with Jesus when he rides back in Revelation 19. So it's the unveiling of who our king really is today. It's the unveiling of what do we have to look forward to in Jesus when he takes his rightful place as king and conqueror. Okay, so let's not forget the sequence of events thus far because it's getting heavier every week from here forward. It's like a logarithmic scale. You know, it started small with peace coming on the earth, then peace was taken, then wars break out, then famines, and now today we're going to see wars, famines, and pestilences. So it's exponentially getting worse as we go through the book. But the sequence of events, the four horsemen do not come forward until Jesus allows them to. So just keep that in mind, that he is in control. He's the one that came forward to take the scroll. He's the one that starts to loose the seals thereof in chapter 5. And then in 6, we see the result of those coming out. So they don't come forward till he allows it. The 24 elders do not look for a man who is worthy until they are in heaven. And you need to satisfy for yourself. We did a lot of study in chapter 5 of who are the 24 elders, and they represent the church. They even tell you who they are. They are kings and priests to our God. And in 2 Peter, we learn that we are kings and priests, a royal priesthood to Jesus. And they don't show up in the Old Testament. There are two or actually three other throne room visions in the Old Testament. Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel all see the throne room of the universe that John sees in chapter 4 and 5. But in those Old Testament visions, the 24 elders are not there because the church was hidden in the Old Testament and it's revealed in the new. And so the church, we are there as sitting on thrones, ruling with Christ before he comes forward, before he takes the scroll, before he allows these things to start to happen. So even in the sequence through the book, you can see how the church has got to be there first. Okay, we're in the heptatic structure. So we had the seals. There are seven seals, and the seventh unleashes the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet unleashes the seven bowls. And between the sixth and the seventh of each of these, there's a little break in the way Jesus has structured the book. So in with the seals, it's one chapter, chapter 7. With the trumpets, it's four chapters, 10 through 14. And with the bowls, it's actually just one verse, chapter 16, verse 15. So we're in the fourth seal today, the green horse, the pale horse. And in the Greek, it literally means green. So we're in the fourth seal today. We've gone through white, red, black, and now green. Okay, so we're open up. We're in verses 7 and 8 today, if you've got your Bible. Revelation 6, 7, and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So the word pale here in the Greek is chloros. And it literally is where we, we get the word chlorine in our English language. It literally means grail, a pasty green, 
you know, think of it as if you get seasick, if you've ever been seasick before, then you kind of look chloros, you look pasty, <laughs> pale green. It's, it's a nasty looking color. You don't want to be it. But it's where we get the word chlorine. It's used three other places in the Bible in the New Testament, all translated as green. So in Mark 6, 39, and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the chloros grass or the green grass. You can see how Jesus used it in Mark 6. In Revelation 8, the first angel sounded and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees were burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. There's that word again. The green is chloros. Okay, in Revelation 9, 4, and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any chloros thing or green thing. And so you can see used throughout the Bible, this is used as green. Here in this verse, it was translated as pale, but really means green or sickly. Okay, this is the only rider of the four horsemen that has a name given to him. And so look at his name. His name is Death, and hell followed him. So it's really a duet. So there's two riders here with this seal of what Jesus is unleashing on the earth. It's death and hell followed with him. Jesus confirmed, if you remember way back when we studied chapter 1 in the old building where we were in verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive and forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. And look how Jesus reversed it. He has the keys to them but there, it's the reverse, okay? Because he reversed the curse. Kind of like in that video, that intro video we watched now before the message, he reversed the curse. And so he's got it here backwards, the keys of hell and death. Well, in chapter six, verse eight, it's death and hell followed him. And it's amazing. These are keys of liberation that Jesus is holding to break you free from hell and death but they're also the keys to allow it to come forward, which is exactly what he's doing. So he alone has the power allowing this. Okay, now why does he have the keys? He's the only one that has the keys because he's the only one who can raise himself from the dead. He's the only one that went into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and could raise himself up again. That's why back in chapter 5, he alone is worthy to take the scroll because he's the only one who conquered it. And you see this in 1 Corinthians 15. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That's a term going all the way back to the feasts of Israel, the first fruits. He was the first fruits of our resurrection. So he had to be resurrected first before anyone else could. To fulfill that. He was the first fruits. For since by man came death, speaking all the way back to Adam and Eve, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So even here, remember back when we studied the throne room, they were looking for a man. Remember they looked in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, but found no man worthy. It had to be a man, because by man death entered, by man death and resurrection had to come in. So it had to be a kinsman redeemer. And we studied Ruth about that, the law of the Goel from the Old Testament. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And so he's first, and then we're next. Okay, the sequence is spoken of all the way back in Ezekiel. So think of what we had. The white horse was a false peace. Okay, and then the red horse took peace from the earth, and wars broke out. The black horse was hyperinflation and famine, and now the green horse, the pestilences, uh, just mass chaos on the earth. But in Ezekiel 14, God warned Israel of this. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine, the noisome beast, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. So God warned his people all the way back in Ezekiel. He actually warned them even further back in Leviticus that he would bring this on if they did not obey him. And what's happening is the ultimate judgment. Okay, it's the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's Christ trying to wake Israel up, but it's also a judgment on the whole earth, a Christ-rejecting world. But God's in control. He's got a purpose in all of the unsealing that's going on, and you see that in the next few verses in Ezekiel. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters, Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and ye shall see their way and their doings, and ye shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Again, who brought it upon them? Jesus did. God did. He's bringing it upon them to wake them up. Even concerning all that I have brought upon it, and they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and ye shall know that I have not done without cause. In other words, when you see this, you're going to know that not only am I doing it, I'm doing it for a purpose, and it's so that he can come and rule and reign and set up his kingdom again. Remember when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, I had to bring you out because I can't dwell with you there. Well, in order for Jesus to come back and dwell with them, he's got to sift all the sin out of the world. He can't sit his throne on, in Jerusalem until it's forbidden, until it's cast out. That sin is gone. Okay. And their doings, and ye shall know that I've done without cause all that I've done it, saith the Lord God. Okay, so he's got a purpose in all of this. You know, the first Holocaust in World War II took one out of three Jews. If you read statistics about it, it's, it's about one out of three. This next Holocaust that we're reading about and studying right now will take two out of three. And that's in Zechariah 13. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, Two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, in other words, through the tribulation, okay? And I will bring them through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Remember, we studied this kind of a while back in the intro to 70 weeks of Daniel, that Israel, a remnant, is going to flee to the rock city Petra. They are going to be pushed to the utter brink of disaster and then call on the Lord. And their prayer is in Hosea chapter 6, if you want to go read that. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. 
but God is going to preserve them for about three and a half years and bring them through at the end. So it's interesting. Zacharias says it'll be worse than the Holocaust. That's exactly what Jesus said. Remember, it'll be a time of trouble like the world has never seen nor will see again. When we spoke about the red horse a few weeks ago, we discussed the Psalm 83 war, the Ezekiel 38-39 war, the event where the surrounding nations in Psalm 83 try to wipe Israel off the map. That's what they try to do in Psalm 83. Their, their entire intent is we have to make them cease from being a nation. And it's interesting that everything you're seeing in the news right now, all of these nations surrounding Israel firing rockets in, and when you hear them talk, they have no other agenda other than we just want them gone. All we know is we want God's people off the earth. And you kind of think and ask yourself, why is the entire world against this small group of people that one t- occupies one-tenth of the size of the state of Oklahoma, is all the land they occupy? And yet the entire world wants them wiped out. Now, why? You should just ask yourself, what is going on? And the reason is because Satan believes if he can wipe them out, then they cannot petition Jesus to return, which is Hosea 5.15. Okay, there's a prerequisite for Jesus to come back. It's Hosea 5, chapter 5, verse 15. So if he can wipe them off, they can't petition him, and thus Jesus can't return, because God is a man of his word. But you're seeing it unfold. What I wanted to show on this slide, though, is it's, I don't know what you do with this, but it's just interesting that all the nations that surround Israel, the colors of their flags are white, red, black, and green, which are the same colors of the four horses we're studying in chapter 6. Now, again, I don't, know, I don't know what you do with that at all, but it's just an interesting observation. Uh, maybe go pray about that. We'll see how that unfolds. But I, it's, I cannot be a coincidence, is all I'm saying. God has something there in relation to it. Okay, remember the signs that Jesus gave us in Luke 21 versus Matthew 24. We looked at this all the way back, kind of at the intro to Revelation at the old building, But Jesus said, these are the beginning of sorrows. In the Greek, it's Odin. It literally means birth pangs. So when you see these things begin, it's the beginning of birth pangs, okay? Luke is written to the Gentile church. In Luke 21, verse 12, he says, but before all these, in Matthew 24, verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, then shall they. In other words, after these signs. And so when you look at these Look at the middle column, what we're studying right now. Revelation 6, 1 through, we're getting through the chapter here. We're on verses 7 and 8 today. But you have the false Christ as the white horse. You have the wars as the red horse. You have the famines as the black horse. You have the pestilences as the green horse. And then martyrs and the worldwide chaos. Well, when you study these, it's the exact same list of signs Jesus gave us in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. But they're two different discourses when you really study the word and rightly divide the word of truth. And so in Matthew, he says, after these signs, all these things will happen. And it's a letter he writes to the Jewish remnant, that third of them, that will listen to him and survive and go through the tribulation. In Luke, he says, before all these, do all of this. And that, but look in Luke 21, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. In other words, when you see the stage setting of all this about to happen, 
look up as the church because you're going home. That's what Jesus is saying. Look up. He's not saying hunker down. You know, he's not saying stock up and hide out in a cabin, get off the grid, you know, survive, try to get all the medicine and food you can and live on the land. He's saying, look up, I'm coming to get you. And remember in Luke, he said, occupy until I come. He wants us to be about his business, growing the church and disciples for him and his kingdom before this happens. But the stage setting is unbelievable. You know, every one of these, you could go down the list of the world is just kind of groaning right now for this. And it seems to get more and more every single month. It's just fascinating. Okay, death and hell. So this green horse, you know, it's interesting. Death claims the body and hell claims the soul. And so you have death riding through claiming the bodies and hell following claiming the souls of these. Now we're going to see a few chapters later, there's a lot of people during this tribulation that are sealed, that are sealed with the, with the blood of the lamb and by a mark by Jesus, the real mark that you want to be sealed with not the false counterfeit mark of the beast, but they're protected. And there's a lot of people that are going to be protected during this time that come out through the tribulation and stand with Jesus in the end of it. But Jesus conquered him that had the power of death in Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, in order for Jesus to conquer death, he had to go into death himself. You see, so he had to take part of it in order to conquer it, which is why he's our first fruits. And the victory is sung in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? In other words, death and hell, where is your victory over us now? Jesus conquered you. You have no power over us whatsoever. We're going home to be with Jesus. So the word hell here, when you study the Bible, there are a lot of words for hell in the Bible. And it can get a little confusing because it's used sometimes as the grave. Sometimes it's used as where you bury a body. Sometimes it's used as where you actually go if you don't know Jesus and you die. But the word in the Hebrew is sheol. Okay, if you've ever heard that word, it's sheol. And it's sometimes rendered grave in the Old Testament. The English word is derived from the Saxon helion, which means to cover, and thus the covered or invisible place. So it's the place of covering where someone goes to. And in the Bible, there are four words rendered hell. It's sheol in the Hebrew, and then three in the Greek. Hades, Gehenna, and Tartarus. And it's important to distinct the differences between these four places. So we're going to dive in and look a little bit of what does the Bible say about each of these that Jesus is talking about. Okay, Sheol occurs in the Old Testament 65 times. And the Hebrew word is derived from a root meaning to ask or demand. And hence, it's associated with never satisfied. It's insatiable. It can never be full. Okay, it's, it's constantly asking or demanding for more. And you see this in Proverbs chapter 30. The horse latch leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. It's interesting, two daughters, death and hell. 
kind of the same thing. There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not, it is enough. In other words, in other words, all four of these never say, okay, I'm good, I'm full. The grave, the barren womb, so you know the angst of a, of a woman, especially in the Old Testament, if they could not have children, how that was a huge detriment to them as a female. The earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. A fire never says, okay, I'm good. You know, you can keep putting logs on it, and it burns forever. You know, that is, that's why God created that way as a model of hell. It's, it says never, it is enough. The definition of the word re, uh, refer, references without praise of God. So when you look up Sheol in the Old Testament, if you look up a, a Greek, or sorry, Hebrew dictionary, it'll say one of the definitions is without praise of God, which is so interesting because there, that is the place where there is no praise of God. You are without Jesus forever. It's rendered grave 31 times. There's a few examples, Genesis 37, 42, 1 Samuel 2. It's rendered hell in reference to the place of disembodied spirits. Okay, the inhabitants of Sheol are the congregation of the dead. And you see this in Proverbs 21, verse 16. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Now, the only way to get understanding, we talk about this a lot in Acts 17, 11 Bible study here, but you have a trifecta. You've got knowledge, wisdom, understanding. You can have no understanding unless you have the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you have understanding. So a man wandereth out of the way of understanding. In other words, he never had understanding. He shall remain in the congregation of the dead. In other words, he was never saved. It's the abode of the souls of the wicked dead in Numbers 16.33. It's called the pit in Job 24.19 and Psalms 9.17. It's that abode. Sheol actually has two sides, the bad side and the good side that we refer to as Abraham's bosom. We're going to look at that for a minute. So before Jesus died on the cross and created the church, you had all of these Old Testament saints, what you could just kind of generically refer to as Old Testament saints that believed in the Lord. Okay, they were saved. When they died, they did not go to heaven yet because Jesus was not resurrected yet. They went to Abraham's bosom. And that's in Luke 16. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Psalm 16:10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. See, in the Old Testament, they're saying, hey, you will not leave me there. When I go to the good side and I'm nurtured and taken care of, I know, God, that you will not leave me there. You're going to come and get me after you're resurrected. Psalms 30, verse 3, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Psalms 49, 15, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. See, the word grave there, it's rendered as, Sheol's rendered as grave, but it literally means Hades, down in the good side of it, okay? Psalms 86, verse 13, But for great is thy mercy toward me, for thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Okay, now don't get confused. There is no deliverance if you reject God and you go to this place. This is in the Old Testament where the good and bad side were set up still. Okay, and we see this in Luke 16. You know, a lot of what you can learn about the afterlife is from Luke 16. So if you get home today and want to read that, 
read Luke 16 and just make notes of what you observe between this rich man and Lazarus. There's this whole exchange of the beggar and the rich man who rejects the Lord and, and dies and goes down to hell. In Luke 16, verses 22 and 23, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So this is where you get the term. It doesn't show up in the Old Testament anywhere, but it's right here in Luke 16 as referred to as Abraham's bosom. Okay, now when you study that account, a couple of things you'll notice. The rich man was fully conscious. He had memory of what he didn't do while he was on earth. He knew what he should have done to be saved. He pleaded for someone to go talk to his brothers to get them saved so they did not end up where he was. And so he never argued that what he was receiving was just or not. He knew that what he was getting was fair because he had his whole life to give his heart to the Lord and he chose not to. And so he's sitting there knowing that, okay, I really messed up big time, but my brothers still have a chance. Please, someone send someone to them to go witness to them. And of course, you can read the whole dialogue between he and Abraham, but there's this, there's this great chasm you know, between where he sees Lazarus, the, the beggar, being cared for, and he's on the other side just pleading for a drip of water. And it's, Sheol's described as deep in Job 11, verse 8. It's dark in Job 10, 21, and 22. It has bars in Job 17. The dead go directly downward to it. In Numbers 16, 30, verses 33, Ezekiel 31, it's a directional place. And I just pulled out verse 33 here. They and all that appertain to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. If you remember that whole exchange with Korah, we studied that when we went through the book of Jude in Bible study. But God literally opened the earth and took them down to this place because they rejected him. And it's, you always see it as directionally downward Okay, in the Bible. In Greek, Hades is associated with two gods, Hades or Pluto. And they, they saw it as the god of the lower regions. It's also associated with Orcus, which is the netherworld, the realm of the dead. It's a dark and dismal place in the very depths of the earth. It's also referred to as the bottomless pit seven times in the book of Revelation. It's referred to as the bottomless pit. In five of those uses, the bottomless pit opens, and we're going to see this as we continue through the book, and something evil and demonic comes out of it. So it's a place of incarceration until the Lord is letting some things come out for his purpose. Okay, but in chapter 20, Satan is finally restrained and throw down into it for a thousand years. And we'll see that towards the end of the book. Now, the only place that can be bottomless, and that would be at the center of, that would be the center of a, of a sphere, if you think about it. Because if you're at the middle, there is no bottom. Every direction is upward. And so even just geocentrically, the way the Bible describes it, it's down to the pit, and in Revelation, it's called the bottomless pit, meaning there's no bottom. You can't go down any further. You can only go up from there. 
So even in the physics of it, it's just interesting how God uses these terms very, very intentionally. He's very, he means exactly what he says. Okay, in the Greek conceptions, Hades had two subterranean divisions as well, kind of like we looked at in Luke 16, these two divisions of Abraham's bosom and then the bad side. The bad side was the abode of the unsaved dead before the great white throne judgment. Okay, Gehenna is a quite a different location. Gehenna is not Hades. Gehenna is the lake of fire that burns forever. And it originally meant the valley of the sons of Hinnom. It was a deep, a deep narrow ravine to the south of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. It separated Mount Zion from the hill of the evil council. Okay, is where it was this valley that separated those two things. It's the place in the Old Testament where people would sacrifice their children to Moloch. Okay, that was the Valley of Hinnom. If you read about that in the Old Testament, you see a lot of, a lot of idolatrous families doing that practice. And it's in 2 Chronicles 28, 33, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 19. And later on, the valley became a dump, a city dump where a fire continually burned. Okay, so in that, it became an idiom for a place of everlasting fire and burning through that. It kind of became an idiom for it. It's used by Jesus 11 times in this manner. And there's a bunch of references there in Matthew 5, uh, verses 22, 29, and 30, 10, 28, 18, and on it goes. It's where the fire that never shall be quenched. So do not let someone sell you a bill of goods that when you die and don't know the Lord, then you are just annihilated. You know, people will call it annihilationism, that you don't really live forever separate from Jesus. Well, Jesus said quite the opposite. And he said it so that we would realize, wow, we need to be about his business, making sure as many people as we can don't go there. Because it's the fire that shall never be quenched in Mark 9.43 and verses 45. So Hades is temporary, and will be cast into Gehenna. That's the difference. The lake of fire. So the lake of fire, the Hades, death, and hell are cast into it in Revelation 20, verse 4. It's the lake of fire at the end of the millennium. So we're going to go, the rapture will happen soon. At some point, hopefully it's in our life. If not, maybe our kids' lives, something. But when the rapture happens, there will be a space of time until the tribulation starts. Then it starts for seven years. We ride back down with Jesus. He sets up his throne for a thousand years, the millennial reign, and then the lake of fire occurs. It's after the thousand years. So Hades and the earth is geocentric, and Jesus refers to it as such in Matthew 12, verse 40, when he makes a similitude. It's, it's for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, so Jesus is saying, just as Jonah did, now it's interesting how, I remember as a kid growing up, you study this in Sunday school, and Jonah was sitting in the, the rib cage of the well, kind of cooking fish, and he comes back out, you know, Pinocchio kind of played on that theme a little bit, but it, from my vantage point, Jonah died. Because Jesus says, just as Jonah, I must do. So Jonah just didn't go into the well for three days. He died. And then Jesus brought him back and cast him back out to finish his mission to Nineveh. 
so interesting when you study that verse in chapter 12, verse 40. Hades is associated with the bottomless pit, the abuso, the abyss, Gehenna being forever. It's the lake of fire that's never quenched. Neither of these are what Jesus refers to as the outer darkness. And there's a lot of confusion when you read that account in Matthew of what is he talking about servants being cast into the outer darkness. And we'll get into that at some point in, here at church, but it's in reference to inheritance and rewards in the kingdom. These are servants that were unprofitable for him, and they're cast into the area of the kingdom of less light. It's not outer darkness as in hell. It's a, it's a totally different concept. So you have to really rightly divide the word of truth when you study those things. Okay, there's, there's one final word translated hell, and that's Tartarus. It's only used once in the New Testament. 2 Peter 2.4, it's the deepest abyss of Hades, according to Homer's Iliad. So if you study the kind of the Greek culture, they spoke of Tartarus being as, as far below Hades as the earth is below heaven. So just to give you an idea of how their concept of this place was, it's the place, the specific place of torment and incarceration for the angels that sinned in Genesis 6. And you see two references to that in the New Testament, 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 1.6. So it's a very unique place that the Lord prepared for those that he made to have eternal fellowship with him, but yet rebelled against him. Okay, with this seal, back to verse 8 in Revelation 6, it's the first time a statistic is provided by God, which is kind of incredible. There's a lot going on leading up to this, but the Lord provides that a fourth part of the earth will perish during this time. And so he's giving you an idea, a concept of how bad does this start to get during this seven-year period. We've seen a lot of bad times on earth you know, in the last hundred years. World War I, World War II, a lot of the Iraqi wars, Vietnam. You think about it, it's never been anything close to this. Not even close. So if you just... I'm a math guy, and so I like to think about numbers. You know, there are about 8 billion people on the earth today. If How many of them are truly Holy Spirit-filled and saved? I promise there's a lot of people that are saved and don't even really know it. They're going to hear the trumpet and go home to Jesus and say, whoa, um, okay, I totally missed it my whole life, but thank you for saving me and bringing me out of this. I didn't do much with what you gave me, but at least I get to go home before it gets really bad. But, you know, there could, you could make some estimates. Are there an eighth of the people on earth saved? Is there a fourth? I doubt there's that many. But maybe there's a billion. Just say there's a billion. So if you took a billion people out of the earth, this alone takes 1.75 billion people off the earth. If there's a fourth of those remaining, of the seven, the seven billion that are here, takes them out. You know, we've just, you can't grasp how bad it will get, really. I mean, you really can't. You know, we thought it was bad during quarantine if uh, the Wi-Fi wasn't working or something at home. It just, it's, we have no concept to understand how bad this is really going to get. And you should be so urgent about this that you cannot keep Jesus to yourself. Because when you go and you meet with a family member, if you go on a vacation with them this summer, if you gather for Thanksgiving this year, whatever it is, 
I promise you, you have family members in that room that do not know the Lord. There, is, there are people around your table that do not know Jesus. Now, you are a living testimony for them. They, they know in the presence of the Holy Spirit that, wow, I am missing something. You've got something that I am lacking in my life, and I need to know what that is. So your challenge is not only to live for him, but feel the pull of the Holy Spirit calling you saying, hey, ask that question. You know, have that conversation. Call that friend you haven't seen from high school. Call that friend you haven't seen since college. You know, I, I can think of a lot of people I knew in college that uh, did not know the Lord. I did my best to live a life for the king, but I would love to talk to them. If I had a way to get a hold of them, I would love to talk to them and catch up and see how, how their life is doing. So do it now while you have time. That's the key. Do it now. So this seal, it not only kills with pestilences, but it kills, look what it does, sword, hunger. So it's the same as the red and the black horses we studied the last few weeks. But it adds with death and the beasts of the earth. And I referenced that Leviticus, chapter, or Leviticus 26 is where God warned his people of that before in Ezekiel 14. Beasts of the earth. You know, this is an interesting phrase because it does not have to be four-footed animals running around. You know, wolves, coyotes, whatever, lions. In fact, I doubt it's about that. The most, some of the most deadly and fear-inspiring beasts are microscopic that you can't see. And just look at what happened in the world in March of 2020 to prove that point. For the first time since the Passover in Egypt, every single person on earth that was in the Lord and not in the Lord was shuttered in their home. And why? For fear. It was all fear-based. Hey, don't go out. Now, did, how did Jesus approach sick people? You know, when you think about it, he didn't stop. You know, he still went to the lepers. He touched them. He sat with them. He spoke to them. He's, he made sure that he was a witness to them. And now that things are getting settled out, I would just encourage all of you, go out without fear. You know, go out into the world and sit with people and talk to them and have trust that your God will protect you, just like he did with the Israelites in Egypt. It's the same thing. So it's just, it's amazing how we really knew very little about it, and yet the entire world just instantly was fear-stricken. And it just, you know it was an attack from the enemy because of that. You know, what's the root in this? Is it fear or is it being a good steward? So it's pretty amazing when you think about that. So we've studied the four horsemen of the apocalypse, white, red, black, and green. But there's a fifth rider coming in Revelation 19. And it's the true king. It's the one on the true white horse. And you have a spot if you are in Jesus with him to come back. And a great friend of ours, I'm using this, this wireless mic today, so LA, if you're watching, thank you. But he, this uh, guy had a, a vision years ago. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on his behalf for a minute. But when he was, he got saved about 41 years ago, and he was a baby Christian, and he had a vision from the Lord, and he was taken for three seconds to Revelation 19, and he was sitting on a white horse. He had never read the Bible. He had no idea what was going on, but he was sitting on this white horse, and 
He had no clue what was happening, but he looked around, and all he saw were just billions of people, an innumerable host, wrapping around in this circle, kind of in a horseshoe shape. And at the center was this, the rider, the true king, riding on the white horse. And they were situated, we were situated kind of in stacks like this, not back to back, so that every eye could see him. And he was sitting there, and all of a sudden, the heavens just opened, and we all came down to earth with him, with Jesus. And it's, it's probably my favorite event in the entire Bible when we get to Revelation 19. We've talked about a lot in men's Bible study, and the guys always make fun of me for how geeked out I get of seeing, we're going to be there seeing these dimensions opened up, and we come back with him. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. But when he woke up, he prayed a lot about that with the Lord, and the Lord told him, L.A., what do you think you do with that horse afterward? Because it says in Revelation 19, we are on white horses with him, and he had no clue. He's like, God, I, I don't know the answer to that question. And the Lord says, well, that's a gift to you from the Father for being a part of the bride of Christ. And in the millennium, you will use that to be dispatched to go do, as Jesus called, the greater works. So he's convinced that the greater works happen in the millennium, okay, after we get our resurrected body, and we are dispatched to tr help Jesus put the world back together, which is pretty cool. But the true king is coming back, and we're going to reign with him. In Revelation 19, 11, this is where you see this. I saw heaven opened. In other words, all of those dimensions we don't have access to right now, they will open. And I've always pictured it as it will be the loudest sonic boom you will ever hear in your life. The world will know when this event is happening. And behold, a white horse. So this is not the counterfeit white horse of chapter 6. This is the true white horse, the true rider, the true king. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, righteousness, he doth judge and make war. So he is going to judge the earth in righteousness. It's not, things are not getting better until he comes back. The prince of peace has to come back for things to get better. And we've got to be vigilant, stay vigilant for him. So if you are, if you're watching online, uh, if you're here in this room and you don't know Jesus, it's very simple. And this is our verse every week we go through, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to take anything away from it. He paid it all. And to say you have to add to it is totally false. It's blasphemy. He paid the full price. All you have to do is humble yourself and accept it. And so if you're watching this online and you don't know the Lord, please, please go in your bedroom and do this today. You know, do not wait. Do not delay because you want to know that Jesus now before he brings us home. You can take your place in the army of Christ right now. In Isaiah 118, he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He wants to wipe the slate clean. Fresh start. Start over. And all you have to do is humble yourself with him to do that. And in Amos, he asks, how can two 
walk together lest they be in agreement. So you've got to be in agreement with him that, Jesus, you did pay for it. I'm humbling myself before you, and I want you to be the king and Lord over my life. And so we're going to close with a prayer to walk you through how to do that. If you're watching online, it's super simple. And if you want to, this will be recorded, so if anyone has a family member that's not saved, send them this. If you have a friend that needs the Lord, send this to them. And we're just, it's so easy. So we're going to say the prayer of salvation right now. And if you're in this room, if you don't know Jesus, and you want to say this, do it now. Do it with us. Get to know your, your creator. Get to know your Lord. And if you, if you don't know what to do with it after that, come up and see us afterwards. Come grab Ryan. Come grab Roger. Come grab my wife. Come grab me. Anyone. Any of us, we can help you. So with that, we're going to close in this prayer. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much again for New City Church and where you've taken us in just a short six months. God, all of the glory is given to you. And we know that, Lord, there are now people somehow finding us all over the world, in Korea, in South America, in Mexico, in Australia, in England, in Europe. Lord, we just pray that if there is anyone within the sound of my voice, that, Lord, your spirit would move and stir in their heart and that they would give their lives over to you. And that they would say this today, Lord Jesus, you paid it all. I am confessing that you paid it all that I am in need of a redeemer, that I am in need of your blood to cover me and to be made clean and white as wool and to have a forever place in your kingdom. And so, Jesus, I commit my life to you now. I pray that you would radically change me and let me be born again. Lord, in John chapter 3, you said one must be born again to be with you forever. And Lord, when we accept you, Jesus, we know that it's not just about the words, it's about a physical change in our hearts and our minds, where we literally, Lord, are a new creation. And God, I just pray right now that you would take over my life and that I would be that new creation in everything that has tormented me, everything that has been bothering me, everything that has been lacking in my life, I pray that you would fill it and that you would come into my heart and into my mind. Let me be born again and walk with newness of life, that I'm raised from the dead again, and that your spirit overflows out of me. And Lord, all of these things I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.